Well, uh, this week we are going to, um, this is uh, the second to last week in the Gospel of Mark. We have been, uh, I think this is week 63, and so week 64 is next week where we're going to just wrap it up and end with the resurrection, and then after we end with the resurrection, we go right into Advent. So we're going to be looking right at the death of Christ and believing, you know, that Christmas exists for uh, setting the stage of, of Good Friday, and it keeps us in that circle. What is the purpose of, of us going into Christmas? And we saw this real quick video about Advent conspiracy. Just a real quick thing. We are going to take two special offerings, uh, one the week before, um, the Sunday before Christmas and Christmas Eve. We're going to take those two offerings are fully dedicated to go towards Advent conspiracy. And so the challenge is, is during this time of Advent, for us to really fix our eyes of what is the purpose of Christmas? What, what is it that God has been doing in bringing Jesus Christ to this earth? And it's not for us to go to the mall. It's not for us to sing fa-la-la-la-la. It's not about Santa. Sorry, kids uh, or adults. It, it, that's not what it's about. But it's really fixing our heart on Jesus Christ and worshiping Him fully with everything that we have. And so we as a church, we're going to be walking through uh, a series, an Advent series called Embody, what it means for Christ to embody humanity and for us to also embody the mission that he is on, that he calls us to be a part of. Um, So we're, we're coming to the end now. And we walked for two weeks through the cross, dealing with his his crucifixion, the just the, the brutality of the Roman cross. And today we're, we're looking at his burial. When my wife and I got married, our first couple of years were uh, painful. One of the things that we just uh, were excited about in our premarital and our discussions and stuff like that is what God was kind of birthing in us when it comes to uh, Missio Day Church. We didn't really have a name to what this was going to be, uh, but one of the persons that just stirred our hearts was a, a kid named James Claver. And James just loved Jesus. His, his life just bubbled. And he was a gifted musician that was outside the box that would stretch the church. Uh, it was with James that I was able to lead worship at Camp Manitoba, where it started with 75 and over the course of a summer, shot up to 300 of people worshiping at night, at probably 8 o'clock at night, going till 10 o'clock in a hot, sweaty chapel, and people just laying their lives out to Jesus Christ. It was James, but my heart just, Lauren and I just got excited about. And it was in our first year of marriage that James, James's leukemia came back. And uh, we watched him lose his hair. We watched him just slowly, his body die. And I'll never forget the day when Laura called. Driving down Center Street and she said, Paul, come to camp. James has died. So, a 
flurry of emotions, a flurry of fears. You know, this is really my first face dealing with a person that I really knew deeply and cared for. And it just so happens that two of her sisters were at camp. And it just, everything just happened. And we drove up to Minneapolis with the family to say goodbye. The hospital was going to keep him there so that family could say goodbye. A few days later, we drove out to northwest Iowa to a funeral. My heart was just breaking the whole time. There's part of me that was just going, God, what are you doing? Why death? Vibrant, young, passionate, lover of you. What are you doing, God, that you would take someone like this? I remember people walking by his, his casket with those special pens. Everybody writing memories. Leaving pieces of CDs from his band. The stories in the funeral. But remembering the casket closing. And the finality of that. And the pain. And the questions. And the fears. God, what are you up to? So as I prepared this week, that was a, a story that was heavy for me. As we look at Mark chapter 15, I encourage you to grab your Bible. If you don't have one, we got them along the sides. Follow along with me. As we look at the story of Joseph of Arimathea and his story of what it means to follow closely after Jesus Christ in the face of death. So follow me along with me as we read, uh, starting at verse 42. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, which means it was Friday, that is the day before the Sabbath, which for them was Saturday, Joseph of Arimathea, a respected member of the council, who also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the, the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and was taking him down. And taking him down, wrapped him in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Christmas is the preparation for this. We looked at uh, last week, we read the story of, of God breaking into humanity at night. It was pitch dark, and God just turned on all the house lights. 
an angelic choir and he broke in and said, listen, I've got good news of great joy, which is for all people. This is good stuff. And I'm bringing out my best choir. I'm bringing out my best choir to announce my son has come. I'm providing a way for humanity. I'm providing a hope. Ah, this is just good news of great joy. But in that good news of great joy, far down was the tomb for Jesus. Spurgeon, Spurgeon in his sermon called A a Royal Funeral, wrote this. Throw it up for me, Andy. He said, You see the holy child in the manger and you notice how all things round about him minister strangely to him. Throughout his life, all things work together for his good. Not to screen him from suffering, but to cause him to suffer. And to make him triumphant through those sufferings. And he goes on to say this, And when he came to die, I see the finger of God displayed at every part of that dread tragedy. You see, God in the incarnation knew exactly what was coming at the crucifixion and the burial. And all these things were working out for the good of humanity. Because this is what would just glorify God in providing a way for humanity where we could not do it on our own. It provided a way for humanity to again experience this this shalom, this peace, this oneness, this unity with the One who created us. Our Creator was breaking in and providing a way for you, for me. So we walk through the death. And now we're walking through His burial. And Mark, for some reason, really with laser-like focus, points out and says, listen, there was a man named Joseph of Arimathea. He was a highly respected council member who was looking forward to the kingdom of God. And he was, oh man, he was just anticipating. He could not wait for the kingdom of God to, to break in. So he took courage. He took courage. He he was just, his heart was just heavy. Oh, Lord, break in. And through his interactions, Joseph said, I believe this is the Messiah. I believe this is the Messiah. And even at his death, Joseph, through his actions and his words, expressed hope that though Christ seems dead and lifeless, there's hope in spite of the grave. As, I, as I'm walking through this, I'm going, oh, thank God that there's hope in spite of the grave. That there's this day that's going to come with all of us who confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, if we believe that and God has taken a hold of our heart and transformed us, it's going to be that day that I get to walk with James. That the child that my wife and I lost through a miscarriage, 
On the other side of the grave, there's hope because of what Christ went through for us as believers. There's hope. And talk about a huge burden for the church of Jesus Christ. Do we believe that there's hope? And if so, what does that mean for our casual conversations or secret discipleship? William Barclay talks about uh, this secret discipleship, which um, Joseph of Arimathea was described in John 19. He's, he was described as a secret disciple. And so he says this, There is, can be no such thing as secret discipleship. For either the secrecy destroys the discipleship or the discipleship destroys the secrecy. And I love this. Discipleship destroys secrecy. When we really find that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our lives, that He's the one that gives us hope, He's the one we need to fully trust in, when we understand the price that He has paid, when we give our lives fully to Him, that discipleship, that following closely after Jesus, that, that just destroys all the secret areas in our lives, doesn't it? It gives us a whole new passion for, my gosh, I have been given this tremendous gift of grace. Tremendous gift of grace. And what do I do with it? Hoard, hide, shove it in my pocket? Keep it at home in that great big Bible that's sitting on my mantle that nobody dusts off? Or do I take that gift and share it? And like Joseph, and like Joseph, be courageous. If you look at the two things about, about Joseph, there's two things that jump out to me. One, He was anticipating the kingdom of God. He was looking forward to its fully breaking into our world, our lives. And that's probably just a topic that we don't talk about much in in Christian circles, about how God is, it's here, it's now, but yet it's breaking into our world. And we, John 10.10, talks about how As the Father has sent me, this is Jesus speaking, so I send you. As as God has sent me here in the flesh, become the incarnate, God made man. As God has sent me here for this mission of making a way for you, so I send you. And that is how my kingdom is breaking into 2009, 2010, 2011, into your marriage, into your workplace, into your your children's lives, wherever you may be. God is breaking in and He says, as I have been sent by the Father, so I am sending you into this world. And Joseph was just, he's anticipating, he's looking for the kingdom to just break in and he believes that Jesus is it. So with courage, huge amount of courage, Joseph makes a bold request. You see, Joseph was part of the group of 70 
that condemned Jesus Christ to death. He was part of that council. He was a respected man in in that council. We don't know what took place behind those closed doors, whether Joseph kept on pleading and saying, no, 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 listen to him, listen to him. We don't know everything that went on. But there was something that burdened his heart that as he looked at Jesus Christ, as he heard about him, his heart just broke and his eyes, his spiritual eyes opened wide. And he's going, this is the Messiah. All of our Old Testament points to this one. He's the one. And so for Joseph to go to Pilate was gutsy. This meant that he could lose all of his religious and political clout and no longer be considered a respectable member of the council. On top of that, not only did he make a gutsy move that way by going public and saying, listen, I want the body of the Christ, of this man that you hung on a cross, but on top of that, I am going to handle a dead body, a corpse, on the day of preparation. He had totally defiled himself from partaking in one of the highest, holiest days for being a Jew. Where a sacrifice would be be made to remove the sins of Israel. Joseph was now outside of that. But he's partaking in something greater. You see, Joseph was anticipating something more powerful. And I just imagine the faith that it would require to believe that a dead body is the key to life. For Joseph, his faith had to be just huge. This body, this broken, bloody body is the key to life. Hope, not despair, made Joseph bold to petition for the body. And his actions, rather than words, with his, his actions, Joseph joined the centurion in saying, truly, this is the Son of God. Joseph, I believe this is him, and I, I, I would like the body because I believe this is the Son of God, and he needs a right burial. He needs to be honored even in his death. His, I don't want his body to be put into the potter's field where just the, the poorest of poor would be thrown. I don't want his body to be thrown in a ditch where a criminal might be thrown. I want his body to have a right burial because I believe that truly this is the Son of God. There was expectation of life even in the presence of death. You see, other people, they honored Jesus with His miracles, with His big crowd teachings. They followed after Him. He started doing this miracle, this miracle, and everybody oohed and awed and followed after Him closely. But here we see nobody except Joseph of Arimathea And also in John 19, we see Nicodemus and two women following closely. 
We believe that this is the one. So when everybody else left, go wash your hands, make preparations for the the big high holy day. Joseph honored him and confessed himself to be a disciple. Even when he saw a cold, blood-covered corpse, Joseph said, I'm out. There's no more secret discipleship for me. I'm out. This one has paid the price. I'm out. I'm out of this, this closet of secrecy. And I'm out in the open. Here's my life. I'm willing to pay the price of, of not being able to participate in that and participate that. I'm, I'm, I'm out. Because I, I know this is the one. So what does that mean for the church, for you, for me, for Missio Day Church, wherever you worship, in your private and your public life? What does that mean for us? Are we willing to say, this is the Christ? This, this is the Christ. And I am going to follow closely, shamelessly. going to count the cost. But you know what? For the price that was paid for me, it is worth it. This is worth it. There's no such thing as secret discipleship. In John 19, you've got Nicodemus, the one who came to him at night and wanted to talk about the kingdom of God and what does this all mean? And Nicodemus came with 75 pounds of stuff to cover the body of Christ. And and Joseph asked for the body and very fine linen to wrap the body. It's not just leftover stuff. It is the good stuff to prepare the body of the king. Here's the thing. Nicodemus gave so freely to the dead Christ. So I wonder how generously you and I ought to be giving to our living Lord. He gave so freely. What does that mean for us to worship and serve a living Lord who says, listen, I want you all. I, I, I don't want just a tithe. I just don't want you to serve in the kids' ministry. I don't want you just to go through this process or that process. I don't want just that. I want you. You're, you're all. I, I, I want your, your time, your talents, your treasure. I want your mind. I want your affections. I want your, I want your marriage. I want your children. I want it all. I want it all. I want every bit of it. And if we own anything in the world, What would it look like for us to say, Jesus, it's yours? Even if, like Joseph of Arimathea, even if we have nothing but a grave, maybe we've we've got the plot set aside for ourselves. We even say, you know what? That brand new tomb that I've got for myself, 
It's yours. It's, it's yours. All of it is yours. Because Joseph said, listen, that tomb is for my Lord, my Master, to lay in. This tomb was fitting for a king. Brand new. No one else had lied in it. Suitable for a king. And I think it's beautiful to think about how God even provided for His Son in His burial. What does that mean for us to be able to trust in Christ with our lives? If God provides for His Son to be honored in His death and His burial, what does it mean for God to provide for us in our life with Him? In 1 Corinthians... It talks about the gospel, the good news. And this is Paul speaking to the church. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you. The good news that I preached to you. In which you stand, or by which, which you received. Think about that moment that all of a sudden the floodgates of heaven just hit you in the heart and you go, I am really a deprived human being. And apart from Christ, I have no hope. Thanks be to God for His gift of grace for me. Which you've received, which you currently stand in, this good news that God is doing something today in your life. He's taking you. He's transforming you. He's he's moving and changing you in, in new and fresh ways every day. And by which you are being saved. God is still in the process of saving and changing us every day. It goes on to say, and here's, here's the pieces of, go on to the next one, Andy. For I delivered to you as of first importance. This is, Paul is saying, listen, this is, this is the protos, the most important thing. This is what I, I delivered to you. Uh, I wanted to make sure that you get this, because if you don't get this, you miss it all. You're, you're just doing church. And he says, this is what I, I delivered to you, that Christ died for our sins. That's the first part of the gospel. He died. And we, we talk about that a lot. We did two weeks on his death and in accordance to Scripture. And verse 4, that he was buried. It's a huge part of the gospel that you never hear sermons really around. I did a search on this because I was going, okay, I need a little help here. I, I get the, the dying for our sins and that there's life on the other side of the grave. But what does it mean? Why is that critical for us? What, why, why are those three parts and that, that middle one that just kind of you go, okay, and he was buried. So what does that mean for you, for me, for us, that we participate in the life, the death, and the resurrection? What does it mean that we don't just die and like, bing, 
there's this death, this, this waiting, this anticipating. Some writers have said that we are Saturday's generation, Saturday's children. Our world, our cities are just a mess. Everything is just deteriorating. We, we hear about DCFS. We hear about the cancer. We hear about marriages just falling apart. It's just depressing to stay here. But that's where God has us planted right now is on Saturday. The grave of humanity. But here's the beautiful part. That we also participate in the resurrection. We are the people of hope. Where we understand that Jesus Christ died. And in the grave, in that, those 36 hours of Him in the grave, announced victory. He announced victory. I said, listen, I'm coming back. You may be frustrated. You may be tired. You may feel like your your life is just this beep flat line. But you know what? You are really Sunday's child because there's life in me. There's hope in even our dying. Our dying to ourselves. For with our death and our resting silently, and sometimes it feels like motionlessly, that there's promises on the other side of the grave. And what seems like death in our life as we give our life and say, God, even as Christ was cared for in His burial and His death, I know you have the same care and love for me. That you will, on the other side of this, provide life. Vibrant, rich life. And I'm going to trust you in that. So with that, my prayer is that as a church, for you as individuals, for us as a, a corporate community, for us as a church of Jesus Christ universal, that we discover that discipleship is not meant to be this secret, quiet thing. But as Christ breaks into our world, explodes our shell of life, He says, listen, as you identify with me in my death, in my burial, There's hope for the DCFS case. You might not see it. You might not see it all. In this painful divorce, for the child abuse, for the neglect, your financial situation, in that time of pain and death and quiet, there's hope. And I'm it. So on the way truth and the what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't stay in the grave. 
life. When we come together to celebrate the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, we celebrate it by by warm handshakes and welcoming each other, greeting each other in the name of Jesus. We also sing about the gospel and say, Oh, God is so good. Let's sing songs about what He has done, the cross. Yeah, let's sing about what, how He's redeemed and changed me. But then we also participate in it. By partaking in communion. 